0: The Human Podcast features weekly service audio from the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation of Roswell, Georgia. Please visit us at human.org. Good morning and welcome. My name is Mandy Winders and I'm a member of this wonderful congregation. On behalf of my fellow worship associates and everyone who worked so hard to put the service together this week, I want to welcome you to the Unitarian Universalist Metro Atlanta North Congregation, as we lovingly like to call it, EMEN. We are so happy to have you with us this week. Whoever you are, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, and whoever you love, you're welcome here. If you're visiting us, please go to our website at human.org and fill out a visitor information form and someone from our membership team will contact you. Everyone is invited for virtual coffee and conversation after the service. A link for this meeting can be found on our website at human.org. And now for some inspiration from a Unitarian Minister, Kimberly Ann Tomsak-Carlson, called A Place of Belonging and Caring. It is not by chance that you arrived here today you've been looking for something larger than yourself. Inside you, there's a yearning, a calling, a hope for more, a desire for a place of belonging and caring. Through your struggle, someone nurtured you into being, instilling a belief in a shared purpose, a common yet precious resource that belongs to all of us when we share. And so you began seeking a beloved community, a people that does not put fences around love, a community that holds its arms open to possibilities of love a heart home to nourish your soul and share your gifts welcome home welcome to worship
1: hi i'm jane soul from human's membership team if you're new to our community i'd like to take this opportunity to personally welcome you please take a moment visit the website human.org there on the homepage, you'll find an online visitor registration form. After filling it out, one of us on the team will contact you. We look forward to meeting you. Trick or treats! Oh, what are you? I'm a Unitarian Universalist because we can look just like anybody. Come get your UU on at Humans, Children, and Youth Ari. Just go to human.org and there you'll find our registration form. Oh, a toothbrush!
2: Good morning.
3: Good morning. I'm Denise Wilson. My family and I joined Human last September, and I am honored and happy to be one of your new worship associates this morning. Today's chalice lighting can be found on Worship Web. The words are by Laurel S. Sheridan. Take from life its coals, not its ashes. Fan the flames of love and justice, join hands and hearts in common endeavor, and there will be no limit to what we can achieve together.
1: Anyone ever said something that really annoys you? Have you ever felt it in your body? Take a moment to recall where that feeling sits. Like maybe you're driving down the street and someone changes lanes without even using their turn signal. Maybe someone you love eats your snack without asking. Maybe someone you trust doesn't take your feelings seriously. Or maybe someone disagrees with you when you absolutely know that you're right. And if they would just take the time to hear you out. Does it sit in your feet, joints activating, making toes curl? Does it live in the muscles of your calves or thighs? Are you coiled and ready to pounce? Maybe that feeling sits in the joints of your hips, traveling up your spine. Do you become rigid or loosely curl in on yourself? Does the feeling live in your heart? Does it beat faster? Does blood pump harder through your body? Or maybe that feeling lives in your temples and behind your eyes causing headaches. I invite you to notice where your annoyance sits. For me, I feel it everywhere. The energy shaking through this body until I'm exhausted. For you, it might be a bubbling or a burning or a churning or even a gentle breeze. I invite you to notice where your annoyance sits. We will not be perfect arguers, fighters, and conflict resolvers, and that's okay. But notice the physical embodiment of tension anyway. If it's available to you, ground yourself in your body and see if that's a tool to ease your experience of conflict.
3: Now is the time in our service when the love that binds us together is spoken aloud. If you have a joy or a sorrow that you would like to share, please type it in the chat and I'll drop this pebble for you now. Diantha Horton shares her joy. She has a new great granddaughter, Elodie Carol Luffel born to Paul and Logan Lofel of Los Alamos, New Mexico, on August 17th. Her middle name, Carol, honors Paul's mother, who died in 1997 when Paul was 10. And now I'll drop this pebble for all those joys and sorrows too tender for words. Let us keep one another in our hearts until next week. Thank mm-hmm. you. Thank mm-hmm. you.
0: Civilization is Made by Lynn Jensen. The conventional view of history postulates a civilization that advances on a colossal scale with grand events. The coming of power of great leaders, wars won and lost, the framing of constitutions, the ratification of treaties, the overthrow of governments, the rise and fall of sovereign nations. It's mostly a history of the accumulation of power and the use of force, a chronicle of all things built up only to be torn down again. Things joined only to be divided once more. There's no question but that these broad historical events exert great influence on human matters. They are the forces that wrench, twist, and dislocate the lives of humans everywhere, but they are not the factors that shape genuine civilization. Civilization is made by households, its economy carried out on the scale of family and friend, its currency and exchange on the level of person to person, its quality of kindness and human affairs, sustains what little civilization we can manage. I believe the factors that actually shape civilization are acts so random and ordinary that their significance goes unmarked. Civilization only asks of us that we live kindly and now. We are wise beyond our knowing when we do so. It's not policy or ideology that makes us neighbors. It's not the defense of state sovereignty or national interest that sustains communities. It's much more of a kitchen and yard thing, an elementary school and town park thing, in which we are watchful of one another.
2: A story and a sermon. First, a short metaphorical story that will provide some context, I hope, for the sermon. When I was a kid, we used to play this game in our backyard or in the streets uh, where there are two bases and about 30 feet apart, and there's a player at each base. And the players throw a ball back and forth to one another. The ball is usually a, a softish ball, like a tennis ball, but sometimes we played it with hardball, a baseball. The other players in this game, the runners, the base dealers, must run between the bases and not get tagged out by one of the players while holding the ball, one of the players who are throwing the ball back and forth to one another. So if you were a runner, you waited on your base until the player at the other base threw the ball. And then you ran as fast as you could while the ball was in the air, and you hoped to make it to that base before uh, the one guy could catch the ball and throw it back to get to tag you out. It sounds so much more complicated than it is. It's really quite simple. We call this game trap, but some kids who moved to our street from Boston called it pepper box. I suppose it probably went by a million different names and probably some other ones down here. The game usually ended not when someone got tired or got tired of getting out, but usually when someone got hit in the head with the ball. Yes, most childhood games, at least the ones that I played, ended up in either tears or a little blood. Whenever we'd play that game, There was always one player who would never run between the bases. They'd just stay on the base. They looked like they were ready to run, but they never would. What was that about? Were they terrified of getting tagged out? Um, So rather than play the game, they just got cozy on the base? Okay, that's the story. Hopefully it'll provide some context to the sermon. So, I had lunch with an old friend recently, from a long time ago. I hadn't seen him for a very long time, so it was good to get together and catch up. It kind of took me by surprise, however, when it came out in our conversation that he was a member of the NRA. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a member of the NRA. Yet I just simply didn't know that this person had ever cared about guns or had even owned one. He was upset about the state of Pennsylvania, a gun-loving state. He was upset that they were attempting to enact some type of gun control legislation. Now, I was unfamiliar with the particulars of this legislation, yet my friend was adamant that passing any gun control legislation was an infringement upon his rights. You know, he said, it's a slippery slope towards taking away more and more of our rights. Of course, I had heard of slippery slope arguments on numerous occasions pertaining to a whole array of issues from gun control to voting rights, to drilling for oil in the International w- Wildlife uh, Refuge. But I began to think, just what is a slippery slope anyway? What are they really talking about? What, and what does a slippery slope argument attempt to achieve? General, generally speaking, to me, those invoking such arguments Don't wish to engage in the topic, really, under any circumstances. I didn't say compromise. I didn't say come to a consensus. I didn't say even listen. They, They don't even want to entertain any of those possibilities. They don't even wish to engage. Those are the players of the game who don't want to play, have no interest in playing the game. Those are the players who just want to stay on their base. Now, after thinking about the slippery slope arguments put forth from my friend, and from others I've heard over the years, I've come to the conclusion that slippery slopes don't actually exist. In a democracy, essentially, everything can be negotiated. Sure there are often, and usually are, power imbalances. And it goes without saying that democracy can be rife with discrimination and marginalization. Yet the arc of democracy plays out not on the bases, but in the risky, messy, gray areas between them. For those who simply want to stay on their base, they'll eventually find their own irrelevance as the game itself changes around them. No, in reality, there are no such things as slippery slopes. What exists is a never-ending gray, the give-and-take, the frustration, the triumphs and failures of what takes place between the bases or in the streets. That's democracy. Staying on base, not democracy. I've been thinking that the powers that be either red or blue might actually be invoking the slippery slope to marginalize your agency and power rather than have to think for yourself, they whisper a narrative in your ear and tell you to stay in your lane, lest you yourself slide down the slippery slope. It's okay for you to shout that whispered narrative to your heart's content, but stay here on your base while we do some other things over there while you're not looking. That's often the case. Writer Jim Ralston says power structures, keep us from having to engage in our own freedom. There's a kind of dead comfort in knowing your place. We just have to find our own niche and get cozy there. In myth only is America the new world. In reality, we are as terrified of freedom as ever. Might we be terrified of freedom? of democracy between the bases, where it can be dangerous, where we can get called out, where failure is always an option, likely actually a more realistic option. UU educator, activist and theologian, Sharon Welch says, "'The measure of our success in our exercise in freedom of, in our exercise of freedom and democracy is not the perfection of our efforts, but our honesty, humility, accountability, resilience, and audacity in the face of unintended consequences and ongoing challenges. Unintended consequences and ongoing challenges. You know, about a year ago, humans, Earth Ministry, along with some community partners, began to press Roswell City Council to pass a Native Plant Ordinance. The ordinance was to encourage the city to use native plants in any new landscaping that was needed in our parks or any new developments. Using native plants to the region would mean that the plants would grow naturally, that the application of pesticides and fertilizers would not be necessary. It would help the environment. It would also save the city of Roswell money. The ordinance came to a vote in June, almost a full year after the start of the process. I kind of thought that it was going to be voted down, that it would be too restrictive for them. Yet, to my surprise and to Earth Ministry's credit, the ordinance passed unanimously. What happened after the vote, however, was most surprising. After the vote, Mayor Henry specifically thanked the sponsors of the ordinance, many of them human earth ministry members. She thanked them for taking the time to educate her and the rest of the city council members regarding the benefits of using native plants over what they had been customarily using. She was sincerely grateful for our really your Earth Ministry's efforts. Earth Ministry um, reminds me of an observation made by two economists, Leo Brainerd and Derek Cholette, who write Can a campaign achieve success where there is no Hollywood storyline, no heroes and villains and conclusive triumphs? Only the slow struggle of well-meaning people to overcome the vagaries of human nature and set the stage for future generations to lead modestly better lives a shout out to our earth ministry team the slow struggle of well-meaning people you'll never find them on base life is too short to stay on base or to be afraid of slippery slopes, or to be afraid of engaging in the face of unintended consequences and ongoing challenges. And almost always, there's no sexy Hollywood storyline, no colossal scale grand events. It's much more of a kitchen and yard thing, an elementary school and town park thing, in which we are watchful of one another.
0: our spirit, strive for justice, transform the world. This is our mission. We fulfill this mission with our commitment of time, energy, and resources. Individually and together, we are Unitarian Universalists, building a world filled with peace and justice, love and joy. The offering will now be taken using the Gibbify app.
3: extinguish this flame but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry in our hearts until we're together again.
2: Next week, September 5th, is our annual Blessing of the Animals service. And actually, at this time, we have no idea how we're going to pull it off. If Whether it'll be pre-recorded, live stream, live Zoom, or some combination of those, or something we haven't imagined yet. But we're going to have it on September 5th. So please, look out for more information. Uh, be on the lookout for more information on our website, Facebook, and human announcements. See you then. The Reverend Richard Gilbert says, neither liberal religion nor democracy are spectator sports. Nope. You can't go anywhere if you just stay on your base. So go in peace and enjoy your week.